Thursday, October 31st, Halloween here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 9 Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smolin. Jared, of course, because you don't have kids, you're not going to have to go hang out in the soggy weather tonight and follow trick-or-treaters, but I definitely am. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing soggy kids come up to my door. <laughs> uh, we, we only get a few trick-or-treaters anyways, though, so you know, I, I, I end up buying one bag of candy and eating like three-quarters of it myself uh, that night. <laughs> It's a disgusting day. Do you have uh, how into Halloween have you generally gotten? Do you have like a favorite costume, even that you can no, look back on? No, I wasn't a big Halloween guy. Yeah, I, I went trick or treating because my like parents told me I was supposed to. <laughs> I would be totally fine with my kids not going trick or treating, but I don't think I have that option. I've always been impressed at the effort that some people will put into it, but it has never motivated me to. And really get something going for myself. I think the right. only year that I've ever gotten into it was when I was at the Salvation Army for, or no, Goodwill for something else. Right. And I found these fuzzy pink PJs and I was like, oh, oh I man, yeah, yeah. I can be Ralphie for this, <laughs> the Halloween party tonight. That was good. That was good. Uh, that worked out nicely. And I only even think of it, I know how long ago it was because it came up as a Facebook memory recently. <laughs> yeah. And actually, my oldest is now wearing the same PJs as part of her baby costume. So nice. we'll probably post a, a Who Wore It Better at the end of the day, I think. I like it. So, we'll move on from Halloween stuff, and we'll move on to Week 9 games, post-Thursday, of course, and we'll start in London again, Houston against Jacksonville this time, 9.30 in the morning, so make sure you got everything set before that game. The Texans are one-point favorites. It opened as two-and-a-half-point line for Houston, so betters are expecting this one to be close. Over-under is 46. Will Fuller is still not practicing for the Texans. Otherwise, they're pretty healthy, except, of course, for losing J.J. Watt. And the secondary is still banged up, too. I mean, I'm not sure if Jonathan Joseph, Bradley Roby are going to be back this week. I mean, it's a good spot for the Jags passing game. Um, you mentioned Will Fuller likely out again for this one. Kenny Stills disappointed last week, but he ran a route on every single one of Deshaun Watson's dropbacks. So I think Stills is still in the mix as a wide receiver three with some upside against the uh, Jags pass defense that's not very scary yeah I think Kenny Stills right now is what Will Fuller was before yeah. I mean we haven't seen him for as long so we don't know but saw five targets last week caught three for 22 same kind of thing that Will Fuller could do Will Fuller had seven targets in the first meeting with Jacksonville Stills gets the best individual matchup in coverage and Trey Herndon uh, for most of the day most likely the Jaguars have actually done a good job against DeAndre Hopkins over the years of course this time there's no Jalen Ramsey it's going to be AJ Bouye on him and you know I would I don't expect Bouya to be as good as Jalen Ramsey but it's still going to be their top corner following him around maybe that gets a few more targets in Kenny Stills' direction. Yep, I could see that. Um, Hopkins, though, has been a target hog. 37 targets over the last three weeks. Now, he, he's been the biggest winner of Will Fuller's hamstring injury. Kiki Cutie, by the way, didn't play a single snap last week. So, you know, if you're hanging on to him or considering playing him at all, um, don't. All right, so Darren Fells was the big tight end last week, of course. Played a season-high 90% of the snaps in that game. Jumped up from 65% the week before. He has now seen three red zone. He saw three red zone targets in that game, including both of his touchdowns from inside the 10. Has now seen seven red zone targets for the season. Jordan Akins, his playing time dipped to 52%, lowest since week four. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like we missed the signs on Darren <laughs> Fells. Things changed between them, and, and still the targets were close. Overall, Darren Fells saw six, Jordan Akins saw five. Jordan Akins has one red zone target all season, though, which is the big difference between them. We're guessing at playing time, we're guessing at roll, but you know if you're picking yeah. between them, it looks like Darren Fells. Yeah, Fells is the way to go. Um, you know, Every time it seems like we figured this situation out, it changes. Um, you know, Fels, Fels has four games this season with 12-plus PPR points. He has less than five points in the other 12, so he's you know completely boomer bust, but... Um, you're playing in this offense, uh, being that red zone target does give him touchdown upside every week. Carlos Hyde carried 20 times in the first meeting for 90 yards. Jacksonville hits this week rate, rated 7th in pass defense, 25th against the run for football outsiders. So I think that we should get plenty of Carlos Hyde again. Uh, I think the tight line, the fact that they're not heavy favorites, adds a little bit of risk because we've talked about Carlos Hyde being game flow dependent. Mm -hmm. But I don't envision the Jaguars jumping out to a lead in this one, even though they are the team familiar with the London travel thing. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if Jacksonville wins the game, but I would be shocked if they you know, blow Houston out and Houston has to abandon the run. So I think Hyde is a decent volume bet here. I will point out that the Jags have allowed just 2.4 yards per carry over the past three weeks. Those games have come against the Saints, Bengals, and Jets. So, you know, one good running game 
two struggling running games. Um, so I, I think it's at least a neutral matchup for Hyde. Yeah, and even that New Orleans game was a banged-up Alvin Kamara still leading the backfield in carries before Latavius Murray took over yep. the past two weeks. So like a favorable set of matchups, I would say, for the Jaguars' run defense there. On the other side, Jacksonville has won three of their past four London games. They lost last year to Philly after that uh, late-night nightclub incident. They stomped the Colts in 2017, edged the Colts 2016, edged the Bills in 2015. So it's not like they're dominating the London scene, but they're at least familiar. Maybe that helps them some. Dede Westbrook entered last week questionable after um, just one limited practice. He missed the first two days of practice that week. Was active, played 41% of the snaps, which is less than usual. Saw one target, no catches. Started this week limited on Wednesday. So he should at least be more available, I would imagine, this week. Yeah, we'll see. He, he was knocked out of that game last week, and now he's dealing with a neck injury too. Um, like you said, the fact that he was limited on Wednesday gives him a shot to play. But I I tried not to use him just again after you know he wasn't able to finish out that game last week. I think if Westbrook's out, Chris Conley becomes an option. You know, he'd, he'd see a boost in targets. He's had a couple nice games now. Um, 15 targets over the last two outings for Conley. Yeah, I mean, I think Conley is an option anyway. I think he becomes a, a comfier option if there's no D.D. Westbrook. As you mentioned, eight and seven targets the past two weeks. 20.4 yards per catch on the season. So that's a high ceiling. Also just a 54% catch rate. So it's going to be volatile. He has been, you know, getting a fair amount of deep stuff. Still not getting as much as DJ Chark. 25.4% of DJ Chark's targets on the season have been in the deep range, 20 yards or longer in the air, 21% for Chris Conley. So that adds upside to both guys, and it's not even an advantage that Conley has over Chark. Conley's a guy I always liked, and you know when he couldn't do it in Kansas City with uh, Patrick Mahomes last year, I sort of gave up on him. Now he's you know having his best NFL season to date. Gardner of course, Minshew, it is just, it's a small sample recently. It's not yes. like he's been oh, having yeah, a great course, season overall. Yeah. yeah, I mean he's always been a, a super athletic guy, so he's mm-hmm. interesting. Um, Gardner Minshew, the guy I think is exciting in Jacksonville here. I think he's a, a strong quarterback one this week. I, I'd be excited to use him as a spot starter. The Texans have allowed a top nine fantasy quarterback in each of the last four weeks now. Yeah, and just let Derek Carr blow it up last week. And you mentioned the injuries in the secondary. Mm -hmm. Whoever is healthy has not been good back there. So we don't even need to worry about who's playing or not playing. It's a positive matchup. And Gardner Minshew, even though he didn't put up big numbers at Houston, still had a fine game there in a game that they almost won. The, The rushing production for Minshew has been surprising. And, and nice. Uh, the rushing production for Leonard Fournette was unimpressive in that first <laughs> meeting with Houston. He only yeah. carried 15 times. I would bet on the over there. Houston does arrive as a fifth get, fifth best run defense, 23rd against the pass, but it'll be the first full game without J.J. Watt. They were the best defense against the run last year with a full season of Watt, 12th the year before with five games of Watt, 18th the year before that with three games of Watt, 13th the year before that with a full season of Watt, you know, we'll see how much difference it makes. Obviously, mm-hmm. there are other differences between those defenses, but losing J.J. Watt obviously hurts. Yep, definitely. Houston's also allowed the most running back catches and running back receiving yards, and, you know, Fournette has been very involved in the passing game this season. So he, he remains a must-start based on volume, even though the efficiency has been disappointing sometimes, and the touchdown production has definitely been disappointing. Oh, show. And Josh Oliver's not an option, but worth noting, he played 31%, 39% of the snaps in his two games so far. Seth DeValve has started the past two games, played 59% each time. Yeah, definitely keeping an eye on Oliver's role. I expect it to grow. You know, he, he's their rookie who you know, we were excited about coming out of San Jose State. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be a fantasy option this year, yeah. but I think he's a, a dynasty stash, and we'll see. You know, yeah. I, there are plenty of guys who have become factors this year that back in August, I would have said, I don't think this guy's going to become a factor. Right, yeah, I mean, it doesn't take much a tight end. And we did see, you know, James O'Shaughnessy and even Jeff Swain for a game there, you know, get enough volume to at least be a lower-end option. Mm -hmm. Jets at the Dolphins. The Jets are three-point favorites. It's probably the closest line for the (laughs) Dolphins all season, I would imagine. Over-under is 41. Uh, You don't want too much in this game, but... You know, there's there's some things. Five teams are actually implied for fewer points than the Dolphins this week, which is just disrespectful to the Jets' defense. But they just traded away Leonard Williams. They're down five inside linebackers, so there's certainly a chance that Miami does a little bit on offense. Not as so much of a chance that I'm thinking about using Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's reached 200 yards passing once this year. He has reached two touchdown passes once. They did not happen in the same game. The Dolphins as a team have reached 200 yards passing twice. They have topped 16 points once. The Jets remain a solid run D. We'll see what happens with the changes this week. But 
I'm not expecting an explosion for the Dolphins by any means. No, I'm definitely not either. I mean, it is one of their better matchups. I think that the guys in play as lower-end fantasy starters, Mark Mark Walton, as we've talked about, just spaced down the volume. You know, he's finished as a top 35 PPR running back the last three weeks now. Um, And then Devontae Parker and Preston Williams. Um, Devontae Parker, 39th among all wide receivers and targets. He's 41st in PPR points. Preston Williams, 25th among all wide receivers and targets. He's been less efficient, ranking just 53rd in PPR points. But again, the volume's been there. Nothing to worry about in the Jets' secondary. So not exciting, guys, but I think you know if you need wide receiver three types with bye weeks hurting you this week, I think Parker and Williams are both in play. Yeah, I think they're both solid starters this week. And solid means like the 40 to 48 range. Uh, Preston Williams has seen at least six targets in every game since week two. Leads the team by five targets for the season. 20.6 share, 20.6% share. Devontae Parker has seen 10 and eight targets the past two weeks with Ryan Fitzpatrick back in the lineup. He has seen seven plus targets in every, in each of the four games that Ryan Fitzpatrick has started this year. Six, four, and four in the other three games where Fitzpatrick was not the starter. So Fitzpatrick seems to be helping him. Mike Giusecki, season high seven targets in that game against Washington in week six, four and three over the past two games. Jets are solid against tight ends. Giusecki's not really an option. Yeah, and um, his playing time had been trending up and then trending back down in that Monday night game against Pittsburgh. So yeah, um, not, not an option at this point. Sam Darnold on the other side, he's usable if you need him, but I would certainly rather wait given that he's not been very good the past two weeks and he's playing through a toe injury and a left thumb injury. Yeah, I mean, Darnold needs a bounce back spot, and this is definitely it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Every quarterback to face Miami so far has finished at least 18th on the week in fantasy points. You know, Case Keenum was the low man at 18. Um, Xavier Howard on IR. Now, the, these cornerbacks, the Finns were trotting out there on Monday night. It was Ryan Lewis, Nick Needham, and Ken Webster. I have not heard of any three of those guys. So, I mean, this. I mean, if Darnold doesn't do it here, it's going to be tough to you know trust him at any point the rest of the season. Pretty sure it's a boy band. <laughs> I would. I, I think I would play Darnold over Carson Wentz this week. I think I would play him over Jacoby Brissett as well. That'd be the range. Um. Yeah, I'd definitely play him over Brissett. Wentz would be tough. I'd probably lean Darnold though. Robbie Anderson, Jameson Crowder, fairly easy starters. I think this week. Anderson's gone eight, eight, and six in targets in the three games since Sam Darnold returned seven targets in the opener where Darnold played Crowder just five targets each of the past two weeks but they were lackluster matchups for him of course uh, New England among those nine and 17 targets in the other two games he has played with Darnold so I think he'll be closer to that this week yeah me too I like both Anderson and Crowder as starters this week Demarius Thomas was the other guy I thought I liked then I started digging into last (laughs) week and his route rate was down to 60 percent Vincent Smith uh, was at 42 percent so it looks like they were kind of rotating in that third wide receiver role so Thomas has seen four nine and five targets over the last three but he's a bit tougher to trust if you know we don't know he's going to be out there for you know 70 80 percent of the pass plays Vincent Smith is annoying for two reasons he always seems to (laughs) pop up to take away when there's a receiver that you think is about to give you something usable and his name (laughs) always looks like it's scrambled I kind of like the spelling of name I don't know (laughs) it sort of fits my eye I don't know. You look at it and you're like, what is that? Guy? Yeah. Oh, it's Vincent. No, it's Vincent. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Demarius Thomas is on the wide receiver four fringe if you need one, but I would yeah. play both Dolphins over him, for example. Yeah, me too. Chris Herndon was limited Wednesday in practice. If if he's ready, he's usable. Obviously, he's going to be risky until we actually see him play a game, though. Yeah, I mean, we'll be looking for any reports on like him being limited in his first game back, but the matchup alone, I think, and his talent, and just the fact that tight end is so crappy is going to make him an option. Jets D, obviously, in play this week, uh, despite the issues. I mean, against most teams, you would say, don't touch this defense with what they have, but it's the Dolphins. Yeah. If it does work out this week... Maybe usable against the Giants in Washington. I'm going to have to see a really good outing here, though, to believe that. Yeah, me too. And Miami's defense not in play despite the matchup. (laughs) Yeah. Chicago at Philadelphia. The Eagles are five-point favorites, 44-point over-under. No significant injuries on the Bears' offense, but also not a whole lot to like. Mm -hmm. David Montgomery spent last week hitting his head on the ceiling. This week looks like a floor (laughs) game. And uh, you have to wonder if the touch volume is going to stay there for him. Yeah, I mean, it should, even though, even though you attack this Eagles defense through the air. And I, I, if I'm the Bears, I'm still going to try to establish Montgomery a bitch because I don't trust Trubisky. But yeah, Philly allowing just 3.4 yards per carry on the season, um, sixth in football outsiders run D. So 
Montgomery, he's still in like running back three range in the rankings, but um, yeah, don't expect anything close to what you got last week. Yeah, for sure. The Eagles are top 10 defense in limiting running back scoring. They've also allowed the seventh most running back receptions, 13th most running back yards. So, I mean, they're not giving up a lot on that front, but yeah. it would probably be an easier way to attack them, get around their defensive tackles and attack the linebackers that are a little bit more questionable. Maybe we get some more Tariq Cohen. Mm-hmm. No more than a fringe guy because their usage with him and his yardage efficiency have both not been all that impressive this year. Yeah, I mean, he has games of eight, six, and nine catches, but then he has two or three in the other four games. So, you know, just know the floor is low, but there there is some PPR upside. Yeah. Allen Robinson's an obvious starter. Anthony Miller and Taylor Gabriel are in play here. Miller had consecutive games of 75-plus percent playing time, seven and nine targets in those games, but that dropped last week to 51% against the Chargers, just three targets, did catch all three of those. He's looked good lately, so mm-hmm. there's upside to him. Gabriel, of course, missed the first game of the two that I just mentioned for Miller and then played less than usual in the second one, which was his return game. Yep. So with him all the way back, it looks like he's playing a little bit ahead of Anthony Miller. I think they're basically the same guy in terms of fantasy outlook, though. Yeah, I mean, they to me, they, sort of, they make each other tough to trust um especially just in this passing game that we just sort of don't trust in general despite the matchup but i'll point out too the eagles have actually allowed the second fewest fantasy points to slot receivers which is anthony miller's role i think we've talked about i think it's more just you know teams are attacking him on the outside i don't think it's a bad matchup for miller but again i think it's better for robinson and gabriel right i don't think there's anything though saying taylor gabriel is going to get nine targets and anthony miller is going to get four it it might happen that way it might happen the other way if you got either of those guys there are better options this week than they usually are. Yeah, I'll give you that. Mitchell Trubisky maybe in a DFS tournament lineup. I mean, last <laughs> year's Trubisky, this would have been the spot for him. But I mean, he has just shown no upside this season. Yeah. And the, the the rushing has gone away. He has 31 total rushing yards through six games this season. He averaged 30 per game last year. That that, that might be Matt Nagy's you know, worst move this season is just totally getting rid of the threat of Trubisky's legs. Yeah, I, I agree. On the Eagles' side, Carson Wentz has thrown for less than 200 yards in four of his past five games. He is 16th among quarterbacks in fantasy points over that span, 22nd in points per game. That includes his three touchdown passes at Green Bay. Mm -hmm. It includes a nice game at Minnesota. He's just not a great option, though, against what is a still tough pass defense for the Bears. Yeah, Bears ninth in football outsiders passed either seventh in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. If Deshaun Jackson comes back this week, that definitely helps Wentz and I think would bump him up by rankings at least a few spots. It seems like Jackson has a chance, but Eagles also go on by in week 10, so I think it makes sense for them to hold him out one more week. Yeah, Jackson returned to a limited practice Wednesday. I would sure be scared to use him mm-hmm. until he, at least until he puts in a full practice, and really probably not this week, even if he finishes this week on a full practice. I, I agree. I think he just makes a bigger impact for for Carson Wentz's outlook yeah Alshon Jeffrey is fine for volume he's had solid outings in both of his meetings with the Bears since joining the Eagles faced them each of the past two years last year's was in the playoffs should be a good bet for target volume here and as produced against them yep just fine that's a good way to describe him Zach Ertz versus Dallas Goddard (laughs) seems to be a question right now Even if you take out the 16 targets that Zach Ertz got in that Atlanta game where everybody else got hurt He's still drawing a 20% share of the targets for the season. So it's not like he's gone away as an option. Don't let the past two weeks weigh too heavily in your evaluation here. It is down from last year, though. So he's getting a little bit less volume. The Eagles are passing less overall. We mentioned that with Carson Wentz. They're the eighth most run-heavy offense in the league right now. And four of those past five games, Carson Wentz has thrown fewer than 30 passes. So, you know, there's, there's a smaller pie. Zach Ertz is getting a little bit of a smaller piece of it. The Bears, though, are weaker in tight end coverage than they are against any of the wide receiver spots. I think Zach Ertz is still a starter for nearly all fantasy teams. And it's not he it's not to the point where Dallas Goddard is a comparable fantasy asset, I don't think. I mean, Goddard is t- is more taking targets from like Matt Collins and Nelson Aguilar. It's 18 targets for Ertz over the past three weeks, 17 for Dallas Goddard. Ertz, Ertz is still, you know, he, he's he's played 84% of the snaps over the last three weeks, ran a route on 85% of the dropbacks. So his role hasn't really changed. I, I think Ertz is still a, a solid tight end one, even though, you know, 2018 Ertz isn't going to return. I, I think Goddard is in play this week too as a lower end tight end one, like you said. Chicago 24th in football outsiders tight end coverage rankings, 26th in adjusted fantasy points allowed 
two tight ends. So I wouldn't be, be surprised if the Eagles come out and, and feature Ertz and Goddard in this game. Past two weeks are the only two this season so far that Ertz has fallen short of seven targets, even with the depressed passing volume overall. We knew the Buffalo matchup was tough. It was also not a good day for passing. Mm-hmm. And the Dallas game was disappointing, but he still saw five targets. Dallas Goddard got four, so they just got split up there. It was a, a garbage performance in that one overall by the offense. Those games are going to happen. I don't think that I, I – I wouldn't be overly worried about Zach Ertz right now. We'll be talking about him more on the DFS shows tomorrow. There you go. Should be another run-leaning approach, I think, for the Eagles in this one against Chicago. Bears gave up a pair of 110-plus rushers before last week's game against the Chargers. And then even though Melvin Gordon was limited, he had eight carries for 31 yards, I believe was his final line. That was still good relative to what he had done in the previous few games. Yeah, season high, 3.9 yards per carry from (laughs) Melvin Gordon. So yeah, I don't think it's a super scary matchup for Howard. He's gotten the volume lately, 47 carries over the last three games. It's about two-thirds of the team total. Howard also tied for third in the entire league with eight carries inside the five-yard line, so he's getting those touchdown opportunities. Yeah, I think Jordan Howard's a fairly comfy running back, too, this week. Miles Sanders didn't practice Wednesday, so it doesn't sound like the shoulder's a big deal, but we'll certainly have to watch it this week if he is in your considerations. Yeah, and I mean, he's been popping those big plays, but the volume really hasn't been there. He has only 12 carries and nine targets over the last three games now. So, you know, the, the, the floor is low. Chicago has allowed the fifth most running back catches, the 10th most running back receiving yards. So it's a matchup Sanders can exploit, but, you know, a guy getting that little volume uh, definitely comes with a low floor. Yeah, he's similar to Jamal Williams and floor in that each of them look like they're probably going to catch two or three passes at least. Mm-hmm. Jamal Williams beats him in ceiling, though, because any given game, the Packers could say, oh, Jamal's running well, we'll give him the ball more. That doesn't look like it's in the range of possibilities for the Eagles unless Jordan Howard gets hurt. Agreed. Indy at Pittsburgh. The Colts are one-point favorites here. It actually opened with Pittsburgh as a a one-and-a-half-point favorite, which is surprising to me after having watched the game against Miami. Pittsburgh's a bottom five scoring matchup for quarterbacks on the year, and it looks like the defense has has gotten better mm-hmm. since the first two weeks when they allowed three forty one and three to Tom Brady, three hundred and three to uh, Russell Wilson in the first two games. Past two weeks, three twenty two touchdowns, two picks for Rivers, one ninety two touchdowns, two picks for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. I think Jacoby mm-hmm. Brissett can start for you. I would probably use him over Carson Wentz but he's not somebody that I'm going to chase for week nine. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably lean Wentz there. I, I wouldn't want to use Brissett if I could help it this week. Um, Pittsburgh up to fifth in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. And, yeah, we, we, we talked about Brissett's touchdown rate and that it was likely to you know come down, um, and he didn't throw any touchdowns last week. Ended up finishing the week as quarterback 24. T.Y. Hilton's an every-week guy trying not to use Chester Rogers or Zach Pascal. And Football Outsiders has the Steelers fifth in tight end coverage. So Jack Doyle, Eric Ebron, really no better than fringe options. Zach Pascal, at least worth noting that, you know, he didn't do anything last week, but he actually was up to a 92% snap rate, 92% of the routes as well. So I feel better about him going into this week than I did last, even though he did nothing last week. I still wouldn't want to use him, but, you know, he, he at least looks like he sort of emerged as the clear number two guy there. Yeah, for last week anyway. We'll see what happens. Sure, yeah. Steelers are middle of the league in run D, so Marlon Mack's a fine option this week. He's an every-week starter, really. Yep. Mason Rudolph on the other side looked terrible <laughs> against Miami. I mean, he's not a fantasy option. Juju Smith-Schuster, still a starter. Seven and nine targets in Mason Rudolph's past two games. And Deontay Johnson is on the fringe. Six-plus targets in each of Mason Rudolph's four starts. Five-plus catches in each of his past three. Yeah, and we talked on Tuesday about how, you know, Johnson, he only ran a route on 43% of the dropbacks last week, which scares you a bit. But like you said, the volume has been there. He's been playing well. There seems to be some rapport there between him and Mason Rudolph. So I do think Johnson's in play as a wide receiver three. I'm not sure that Mason Rudolph is familiar with Vance McDonald. (laughs) The tight end has topped three catches one time all year. He's seen 10 total targets over the past four games. He's averaging 2.8 receptions per game. I mean, maybe a DFS option, but I I, I don't like him in full season. No, no I mean, I'd rather play Darren Fells over Vance McDonald at this point. Yeah, for sure. In the backfield, we're going to have to watch it through the week. James Conner, Benny Snell, no practice Wednesday. Jalen Samuels, though, another full practice after he did that all last week, didn't play in the Monday night game. We'll see about Conner. He's an obvious starter if he is active. If he's not, Jalen Samuels, I think, becomes a nice low RB, too. 
at least I'd say uh, Benny Snell had uh, knee surgery to trim his meniscus, so he's out two to three weeks. So he's out of the picture for this game. So if Connor's out, I mean Samuels is going to be a feature back, and I think I think he'd be like a borderline RB one. Yeah, I can see that. Washington at Buffalo. The Bills are nine and a half point favorites at home in a game with a thirty-seven point over/under. So Washington is implied for less than fourteen points. Two and a half less than the next lowest team, which is Arizona. More than four behind any other team playing this week. And that tells you most of what you need to know here. Mm -hmm. Terry McLaurin's just outside wide receiver three territory in our rankings. It's it's not going to be a great day for him. He's likely, I think, to face a Tredavious White shadow. If you look at the playing time numbers, Tredavious White has been glued to the left side for most of the season. But... Last week's game against Philly was really the first time that the opponent had a clear number one outside receiver. And in that game, Tredavious White moved over to the other side every time that Alshon Jeffrey moved over to the other side. Literally played every snap on that, exactly the same number of snaps on that side that Alshon Jeffrey did, split between the two sides. So now that they're facing a Washington team with a clear number one receiver in Terry Mm -hmm. McLaurin, I think Tredavious White's going to be following him around. Yeah, and McLaurin sits in, you know, he sits just outside wide receiver three range, assuming Case Keenum plays. If they have to go to Dwayne Haskins after Keenum suffered that concussion last Thursday night, I think McLaurin just is is out of play completely because Haskins has just looked lost. Adrian Peterson, meanwhile, is in a decent spot. The Bills allowed 176 total rushing yards and three touchdowns to Eagles running backs last week. A solid 14 for 66 rushing day to Mark Walton the week before. A touchdown for Kalen Balaj. Every opponent has a running back with 60-plus rushing yards against Buffalo this season. Every opponent has at least one running back touchdown. Only two of the opponents have not had one on the ground. They each got one receiving. In his three games under Bill Callahan, Adrian Peterson has seen 23-20. And then, what was it, 14 carries against the sounds, against sounds Minnesota right. last yep. week. 118, 81, 76 rushing yards. I think Peterson even belongs a little bit higher than we have him in the rankings this week. He might. I mean, he's, he's not going to win you your week, but I do think he's a pretty safe bet for production here. He's top five in the NFL in uh, carries and rushing yards over the past three weeks. Even though he has just four catches in those games and hasn't scored a touchdown, he's still 17th among running backs in non-PPR points, 20th in PPR. And yeah, that, this Bills run defense is not good. Football Outsiders has them 28th. Pro Football Focus has them 24th, and they're 30th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. I think I might even play Adrian Peterson over Mark Ingram this week if I had the decision to make him non-PPR. Well, we'll talk about Ingram. I think his matchup isn't as bad as you might think. Oh, I think we'll get into that <laughs> later as well. Chris Thompson did not practice Wednesday. Not having him around can only help the the volume outlook for Peterson, I think. Yep. On the Bills' side, Josh Allen's fine. It's a weak pass defense. Frank Gore is okay. It's a soft run defense. You really don't know what the backfield is going to look like, though, in a game that they should control with a healthy Devin Singletary around. Right. I mean, my my guess is that they still like Gore as they're, you know, playing with the lead primary ball carrying back. So I I would lean towards Gore here. It's it's, probably a toss-up in PPR because Gore didn't see a single target. Last week, uh, Devin Singletary saw six of them, and the, the routes run were just, you know, it was 72% for Singletary to 12 for Gore. So he's clearly the passing down back. But in this game, Buffalo should be playing with the lead. Washington's been a middling run defense. Right. Singletary dominated playing time in the backfield last week, but they were trailing for most of that game. So assuming that's not going to be the case this week, we'll see what it is. And even with that, Singletary carried fewer times than Frank Gore. Mm-hmm. So I agree I would lean toward Gore. I do think Devin Singletary is like an RB3 level option with some upside if you yeah. are looking down in that range and you're, you know, you're trying to throw a dart at something that, that has upside in that Yeah, game. I mean, if this if this game goes according to plan for the Bills, it could be 16 carries for Gore and also, you know, eight or nine for Singletary. Mm-hmm. John Brown's an every week starter. Maybe he gets better weather this week. This, this Sunday looks like it's going to be cooler than last Sunday was, but also a lower chance of rain and probably less wind than there was. And even, I mean, even last week, you know, in, in those horrible conditions, Brown didn't kill you. He caught five balls again. Mm-hmm. Dawson Knox's playing time has dipped mm-hmm. two straight weeks. Tyler Croft started over him last week. Four targets, two catches. Should have had a deep ball catch, but Josh Allen missed him. Like, didn't see him. <laughs> Oh, he did. Uh, it's very surprising Josh Allen missed a deep ball. <laughs> yeah, I, and I guess I shouldn't say he didn't see him, but he was feeling the rush when there was still time in front of him for him to deliver what would have been a really easy deep ball. So Tyler Cross not on the radar, but probably would be more if he had gotten that long touchdown from yeah, Josh Allen. Yeah, I mean, Croft and Knox split routes right down the middle last week. So, you know, I, I wish one of those guys would emerge because we need some viable tight end options. But if the usage is going to be 
50-50. You can't trust either guy. Yeah, this ain't the place to look. Tra- play Jordan Aikens over either one. Yeah. Cole Beasley's fine, but he's not a great volume bet. The profile is probably even inflated a bit because he scored touchdowns mm-hmm. in two straight games now. Yeah, and you don't expect big passing volume from the Bills in general in this game. And Washington's actually been a neutral matchup for slot receivers. Yeah, and he's only seen three red zone targets all season, so it's not like he finally <laughs> cashed in over the past two weeks. He right. just got them. Yep. Tennessee at Carolina. The Panthers are four-point home favorites, over under 41. Delaney Walker was still not practicing Wednesday. If he's out, Jonu Smith is a top-12 option. Panthers are good in wide receiver coverage and versus running backs. Middling versus tight ends. Smith's coming off leading the team with seven targets last week. Big production. And another six targets went to other Titans tight ends in that game. Five for Anthony Ferkser, one for Michael Pruitt. Anthony Ferkser ran more pass routes than Jonu Smith uh, last week. It was 20 to 18. So that scares you a bit for Jonu Smith. But I mean, he's gotten targets the last two weeks now. And you know, we, we just can't be that picky at tight end. I think if you have Smith and you don't have one of the you know top seven or eight guys, you're, you're starting Jonu. It's ferked up. Corey Davis got six targets last week against the Bucks. Only caught two of them for nine yards. Adam Humphreys also got six. Just three apiece for A.J. Brown, Tajay Sharp. Each of those guys got lucky to score a touchdown. I would try not to use any Tennessee wideout this week against Carolina. And Corey Davis played a season low 62% of the snaps. I don't know what happened there. I mean, he'd been up in the 80s and 90s. Um, Davis did rank seventh among all wide receivers in air yards last week. So he he had chances. He just didn't make the plays. That was about the best match we can get, though. Now he has a pretty tough Carolina pass defense. I would try not to use Corey Davis or really any of these Titans wide receivers. Right. And if you're only getting six targets against the Bucks defense and not converting those, <laughs> then it's tough to say, oh, it's coming. Derrick Henry's a weekly starter. It's a good spot for him. The defense is third against the pass, worst against the run, according to Football Outsiders DVOA. And Henry's seen 15 plus carries in every game still. So even if they fall behind in this one, he's it's not like they're going to yep. he's going to disappear. Yeah, must start in season long, and another guy we'll be talking about tomorrow in the DFS shows. On the Carolina side, still Kyle Allen. Cam Newton's not ready yet. He's low in QB2 territory. Uh, Yeah, there are maybe only a couple guys I'd start Kyle Allen over this week. Curtis Samuel missed Wednesday with a shoulder injury, so we're going to have to watch him. If he's active, he's fine, but... Yeah, he played his usual amount of snaps last week. You know, he never left that game, so we'll see. If he misses again Thursday, it'll be time to worry. Um, His last three... Weekly PPR finishes 53rd, then 5th, and then 51st. So he, he's been completely boomer bust. Uh, yeah, and DJ Moore is DJ Moore. Yeah, DJ Moore I feel better about than Curtis Samuel. His volume mm-hmm. has been steadier. His production has been steadier. Anything on Greg Olson? Yeah, Greg Olson has been he's been predictable based on matchups. He's been good against bad tight end defenses. He struggled against good tight end defenses. Titans are 27th in football outsiders tight end coverage rankings. They're 25th in adjusted fantasy points allowed. So I feel decent about Olsen this week if he's your guy. Decent relative to the rest of that garbage position. Minnesota at Kansas City. There is, as of when I was doing my notes for this this morning, most places had no line, no over-under on the game, which makes sense because we don't know about Patrick Mahomes yet. He was limited Wednesday. Things change a lot based on whether he plays, and we're all going to have to wait and see, not only for him, but for the scoring outlook and for what receivers are worth considering on Kansas City side. Yeah, and we'll probably know by you know Friday or Saturday, I would think, about Mahomes. I'm betting on him not playing. There's, there was a report on uh, Sunday morning, I think it was from Ian Rappaport, that I think he said there's an outside chance that Mahomes plays in this one. I think a week 10 return is, is much more likely. I have a dynasty team that has Patrick Mahomes and Joe Flacco as the two quarterbacks, so I'm going to have to go <laughs> make I, a move. I have two dynasty teams, and I'm starting, hopefully starting Matt Moore this week. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to go look at what's available. On the Minnesota side, I mean, you know, the guys that you're considering are in play. Adam Thielen put in a limited practice Wednesday. He reportedly wanted to play last Thursday night, didn't on the hamstring injury. Should be back for this one. Yep, and you're starting Diggs and Thielen, even though the Chiefs actually have been pretty tough against wide receivers, but, you know, those, those guys are, are, are still still weekly starters when they're healthy. And Adam Thielen's return could hurt Kyle Rudolph. Yeah. Rudolph's been relevant the past three weeks, three, five, and three catches, but same span, Irv Smith, two, five, and three catches. So yeah. if, there were, if one of those two guys were there, that guy might be more of an option. The fact that they're splitting what could be a smaller pie this week, I mean, makes it tough to really like either one. Yep, and the Chiefs have been good against tight ends. Uh, Football Outsiders has them sixth in tight end coverage, and they're 11th in adjusted fantasy points allowed. 
All right, before we hit the later slate, it's time to take a minute to talk about Manscaped. Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Whether you've been married for a long time like I have, or and you're looking to change things up, or you're still out there on the open market trying to impress somebody, Manscaping is a good idea. And if you're like me, you don't know the first thing about scaping, just go to Manscaped.com, you grab the perfect package kit, You'll find this special body wash, deodorant, toner. I'm not even sure what toner is yet, but we're going to look into it. My favorite, though, the Lawnmower 2.0. It's a 100% waterproof, 100% safe-to-touch trimmer. You can use it in the shower. You don't have to worry about hurting yourself, taking an embarrassing trip to the emergency room where you got to explain what happened to somebody you don't know. You can avoid that with us. As a listener to the podcast, you are also eligible to get 20% off and free shipping on all orders at manscaped.com with the code DRAFTSHARKS. That is 20% off plus free shipping when you go to manscaped.com. Go to the website, manscaped.com, shop around, find the package that fits for you, and then when you check out, type in the promo code DRAFTSHARKS. It is all one word. Save yourself some money at manscaped.com. Now, on to the later part of the Week 9 slate. Tampa Bay at Seattle. The Seahawks are six-point favorites at home. It's a 50.5 over-under. That's down from 53 at open. Cameron Brait we'll talk about first. No practice Wednesday. He's got a rib injury. O.J. Howard, no practice Wednesday. He's got a hamstring injury. Brait matters because last week, he got six targets in the loss at Tennessee. That's one more target than the season high for O.J. Howard, which came way back in week one. Yeah, I just had the same note down. I thought that, <laughs> that was funny. Howard hurt the hamstring in practice last week and, you know, not practicing Wednesday. I'd bet against him playing. Bray, I never saw him exit last week's game. It's a rib. So, you know, guys usually play through that unless it's like a, a broken rib. Um, so I, I'd expect Bray to play, and I think he's right on the tight end one radar if he does. I mean, we've talked about Seattle pretty weak against tight ends there. 28th in adjusted fantasy points allowed right now. Yeah, I agree. He's right there at the bottom of tight end one territory. Positive matchup. Seattle's also just 23rd in football outsiders run D efficiency. Unfortunately, it's a bad situation for us to pick somebody. I mean, last week we got Ronald Jones leading in carries 11 to 10, leading in targets 4 to 3. The week before that, it was 8 to 4 in carries for Peyton Barber. That was just the second time this season that Peyton Barber has led the team in carries, but it's been close most of the week. So neither guy is a good bet if you are choosing. It's Ronald Jones over Peyton Barber. Yeah, I mean, you look at the 11 carries and four targets, and like, ah, that's that's decent. But then he only played 26% of the snaps, talking about Ronald Jones. And he only ran a route on 9% of the dropback. So he was, he was sort of lucky to get the four targets. So I, I still don't trust anyone here. It doesn't, it doesn't look like there's any area where they're like, oh, we prefer Ronald Jones here. It's like he's a little bit more talented than Peyton Barber, so he might get the ball a little bit more. But they're, they're not putting him in the game to block or whatever. They don't like any of them, I don't think. I don't think they have a plan. <laughs> I agree. Uh, Jameis Winston's solid, at least, against a D that just allowed 460 <laughs> yards to Matt Schaub. Seattle has allowed just nine touchdown passes on the season, though, through eight games. I mean, I, I like this game in general, and obviously Vegas does, too, with the high over-under. So I, I like Jameis this week. Um, it, as ugly as it's been for the most part, he hasn't finished worse than quarterback 16 in any of his last five games. And he has a top eight finish in three of those last five. Yeah, you're never going to feel comfy about it, but it's a fine spot to start. And again, yep. 460 yards for Matt Schaub. I don't care how many <laughs> pass attempts you yep. have. That shouldn't happen. Yep. Seattle, by the way, its implied total is down one and a half points from the open, and it's still the highest on the week. So we should get plenty of points from here. All the obvious guys are in play. Yeah, um, including DK Metcalf. I think he's he, he has another big game in this week, I think. Yeah, is he, I would love to see him get a little bit more target volume, though, before he, I'm projecting. He, Metcalf has the same number of targets as Tyler Lockett over the past five games. Now, it's just 26 for both of them. Mm-hmm. It says more about the fact that you know Tyler Lockett's not getting as many targets as he should. But um, you know the gap between those guys has been nil over the past five games. The air yards have been pretty similar, just five more for Tyler Lockett. And Metcalf, again, we've talked about, he still leads the league in end zone targets, had those two short touchdowns last week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, both certainly in play, and the matchup has a chance to push Seattle to more passing than running if Tampa Bay is limiting Chris Carson. Yep. 
Detroit at Oakland. The Raiders are two-point home favorites, finally. Over under 50.5. It's down from a 51.5 open. I say yes to everyone that you're considering from both sides in this game. And I think if it's close between somebody from this game and somebody from another one, I'm yeah. pretty much always going to be leaning toward the guy in this game. This is going to be a fun week in fantasy because we have these two late games that, you know, probably going to be the two highest scoring games. So, you know, like both in DFS and season long, you might be trailing and then make big comebacks on the backs of these two games. Yeah, I agree. So in this one, we've got... The number 23 defense versus the number 28 defense in overall DVOA, according to Football Outsiders. On offense, Detroit's 13th, Oakland's 8th. So both teams way better on offense than they are on defense. I'm going to highlight TJ Hawkinson. His two highest route rates of the season came in the first two weeks, so he hasn't matched that level since then. But... The past two games have been higher in that category than any of the previous three were, so he has at least regained some of it. We've got a potential shootout here. We've got an Oakland defense that is much tougher on the run than it is against the pass, terrible against the pass. So I think both of those factors work together to help TJ Hawkinson's volume outlook. He had one target last week, but before that, six and five in the previous two games. That level makes you a somewhere around the, the bottom of tight end one territory as an option for the week. Mm-hmm. And if TJ Hawkinson does have a good game this week, then there's some upside to matchups with Chicago and Dallas the next two weeks. Yeah, and the Raiders 29th in both football outsiders tight end coverage and adjusted fantasy points allowed. They obviously just gave up the two touchdown game to Darren Fellows last week. Uh, Jimmy Graham scored on them the week before. And then uh, back in week four, both Eric Ebron and Jack Doyle scored. So Oakland's been struggling against tight ends. I did manage to not play any Hawkinson last week. This week, he's definitely going in some DFS lineups. like it. Raiders are tied for the third highest implied (laughs) point total this week. Tyrell Williams, Josh Jacobs, both open this week with limited practices. I think that's good news for both of them because it means Tyrell Williams probably came out of last week's game fine, where he he was limited all last week going in and played... Josh Jacobs started last week not practicing, didn't he? Uh, yes, he did. Um, so that's good to see. Um, J- Jacobs, he, he was limited a bit in that game. Um, you know, they He played 55% of the snaps, 15 carries for Jacobs. They gave seven carries to the other back. So you know, if he practices all week, though, i got to imagine he's closer to 100% for this game. I think you know Jacobs is, is basically a must-start in season long. Mm-hmm. Tyrell Williams really wasn't limited. Last week, um, played 89% of the snaps, finished second on the team with six targets. It was a 20% target share. So Tyrell, especially in this matchup, I think you know he's 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 a wide receiver too this week. Only limited by your imagination. Mm-hmm. Derek Carr is still low owned, less than 30% owned in ESPN leagues as of yesterday. League high in completion rate, two plus touchdown passes in four of his past five games. I think he is a strong streaming option this week. Yeah, I mean, he had no weekly finish better than 17th in his first five games. But then he's finished 13th and then ninth the last two, and it's another nice matchup here. So yeah, I like Carr as a spot starter. Green Bay at the Chargers, Packers by three, 48 point over under. Devontae Adams put in a limited practice Wednesday. If he's active, he's starting. You know, we'll watch reports on him. Yep, Adam Schefter reported Sunday morning that Adams is expected back for this week, um, so we'll keep watching him. He, he's going to get the Casey Hayward shadow. It's not an ideal matchup, but you know Adams can beat anyone, and this this Packers offense is obviously firing on all cylinders right now. Yeah, and really, he could catch three balls and have a touchdown, and it'll be an okay game where yep. you want him in the lineup. If Devontae Adams is ready to return this week, it would probably impact Jake Kumaro the most, I would think. He was fourth in wide receiver snaps last week. He's an outside receiver like Devontae Adams. Alan Lazard actually passed Geronimo Allison in playing time last week. He looks like the lead slot receiver right now. It was only one game, but so we'll see what happens this week, especially if Adams is back. But I would bet on Alan Lazard over Geronimo Allison. Has Lazard been playing in the slot? I didn't I didn't look at that. He saw uh he saw his slot snaps increase each of the past three weeks okay. and this past week was the first time where he was primarily a slot guy. Yeah. I know Lazard led the Packers wide receivers in routes last week. I mean, Lazard, Allison, and Valdez-Scantling were all pretty close. They were all mm-hmm. within a few routes of each other. Honestly, if Adams is back, I don't know what to make of you know the rest of the wide receiver core, so I would just try to avoid it. Yeah, I would try to as well, but if you are looking down there, I would play Lazard over Allison. I think Lazard versus MVS is going to be kind of a, a toss-up. Mm-hmm. So it was Lazard, then Allison, then MVS in playing time last week against the Chiefs. Uh, Allison was only one snap ahead of MVS, though. And Marquez Valdez-Scantling is an an outside receiver. Again, Mm -hmm. Allison's a slot guy. So if Lazard is truly passing Allison, 
I think it pushes Allison out of the lineup yeah. rather than pushing him outside and MVS to the bench. Yeah, I agree. If he's the slot guy, he's going to move Allison out. If he's you know going to play outside, it's going to be going to be MVS out of there. Mm-hmm. Great spot for both Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. I mean, Jones is an every week starter right now. Just really just for the receiving, seven plus targets in four of his past five games, mm-hmm. four plus catches in five straight games now. Chargers are a bad defense all around. They just allowed the big day to David Montgomery. And the past four opponents have averaged 143 and a half rushing yards per game. Yep, I mean Aaron Jones, a top eight play this week. Um, Jamal Williams, you got to be careful with. You know, he's he's PPR running back five over the past three weeks. But he's only 28th among running backs in total opportunities over that span. He is 10th among running backs in targets, though, and you know we know targets are more valuable than carries, so that that helps. Consider him a running back three, not you know the top five guy he's been over the past month here. I would I would put him on the RB two fringe. He's for this, like, for, this ma- for this matchup. I, yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah, he was he's what um, Austin Eckler was early last season when Melvin Gordon was the lead back, and it, he he probably even has more touch upside than Eckler had at that point because mm-hmm. it's not like a true lead back in a number two situation here. Yeah. They're both involved. And they're both getting targets, and there is touchdown upside because of the offense. And, you know, again, the matchup. Uh, 31st in running back coverage for the Chargers, according to Football Outsiders. So it's a good spot. Yep. I mean, we'll have to see, too, um, what Adams' return means for the Mm -hmm. the target volume for Jones and Williams. I don't think it's going to go away, but I think, you know, Adams is going to cut into that a bit. On the Chargers side, Phillip Rivers is high in QB2 territory, but that's about the best I can say. It's a matchup that's better for rushing. All right. Yeah, um, and, and I think the Packers' pass rush is going to be an issue here, too, for the Chargers. So Rivers has been getting it done. It hasn't been pretty, but he's at least been piling up some yardage. Um, you know, he's finished as a top 13 quarterback in two of his last three games now. So I, I don't love him, but you know, he's, he's okay. I wouldn't go, you know, benching Phillip Rivers for, you know, Jacoby Brissett or even like a Carson Wentz this week. Yeah, I would start him over those guys. He's actually been avoiding sacks fairly well lately. Just one sack or yeah. fewer in five straight games. Uh, kind of a mix of pass rushes that he's been facing. He's been avoiding sacks, but like the pressure on him has definitely been having an impact. Mm-hmm. The backfield, it's a better matchup for rushing, but that doesn't make me excited about Melvin Gordon or Austin Eckler. They're both still in low RB2 or flex range. If it's a non-PPR team, I'm playing Adrian Peterson over both of these dudes. Mm, I mean, eh. Gordon's tough to speak. I mean, first of all, we, we should talk about the fact that Ken Wisenhunt was fired. And do, do we know who's going to be calling plays for the Chargers? I'm not sure I've seen that. The thing I saw was that the rumor was, I think, the guy who's the QB's coach, okay, yeah. who I'd never heard of before. So, I mean, that, that could mean a change in the backfield usage. I mean, Eckler has looked better than Melvin Gordon all season, so I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised if they go a bit more towards Eckler now. But like you said, this matchup is nice. Packers allowing 4.9 yards per carry on the season. They're 24th in adjusted fantasy points allowed. So I think there's some upside to both guys here. For what it's worth, Anthony Lynn's history is as a running backs coach. He spent a little bit of time as a coordinator, but most of his history in the league has been as a running backs coach. So mm-hmm. I don't know. That, that can only help the running backs, I would imagine. I yep. can't project it, but it can only help. Yep. Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry are automatic. Mike Williams is a good buy low right now. Through seven games last season, he had seen 29 targets, caught 17 balls, and scored four touchdowns. This year, through seven games, 50 targets, 26 receptions, zero touchdowns. He's now seen six-plus targets in five straight games, and he's playing 89% or more in every game over that span. Yeah, he leads all wide receivers in air yards over the past four weeks. Um, he's one of only four wide receivers with 50-plus targets who have yet to score a touchdown yet this season. And the other guys, it's like I think it's, it's Robert Woods, Jarvis Landry, and Jamison Crowder. You know, th- those aren't touchdown scorers. Williams is a touchdown scorer. He's beginning chances, too. He's tied for eighth in the league in red zone targets. He's tied for 11th in targets inside the 10. So, um, you know, th- this isn't an ideal matchup, but I think a big game for Williams is coming. I think, you know, he, he should be treated as a weekly wide receiver three the, re- the rest of the way. He should have had a long touchdown catch against Chicago last week, but basically dropped it. I mean, the cover guy got there pretty much the same time, but it yeah. was a ball that he should have caught. Yep. Cleveland at Denver. The Browns are three-point favorites. It opened as Denver being favored by two. I don't know if Joe Flacco is all of the change on that or if it betters were like, seriously? But that's where it is now. It's a 39-point over-under, which is down four points from where it opened. On the Cleveland side, 
Nick Chubb and Odell Beckham are always guys. It's not a positive matchup for either, though. Beckham should get the Chris Harris shadow in coverage. That should help Jarvis Landry's upside. He saw 10 targets against the Patriots last week, which led the team by three. And he's now had four-plus receptions in three of the past four games, 65-plus yards in each of those three games and in five of his seven games for the season. Yeah, I, I you know before I started digging into this game, I thought I might like Jarvis Landry a bit more, but you know Denver's second in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers, so they they've been tough against everyone in the wide receiver course, despite you know not really having a quality corner outside of Chris Harris. Football Outsiders has Denver fifth against number two wide receivers. They're third against other wide receivers. So you know somehow they they've been tough against all these guys. So I think Landry is a fine wide receiver three. I'm just not. Yeah. As excited about him as I thought I might be. Yeah, that's where I would put him as well. But I think Beckham's situation might push a few more targets his way like it did last week. Yep. On Let's see. No thanks for me on the tight ends and Antonio nope. Callaway, who's for some reason playing over Richard Higgins. Yeah, and no thanks on Baker. Um, you know, we knew it was a tough matchup last week, but he actually had his second worst PFF passing grade of the season. He finished the week 18th among 30 quarterbacks. And the Broncos, again, you know, they, they've been tough against the pass. They're fifth in Football Outsiders past D. There's no, been no game where I've seen him this year where it's like, oh, there he is. And, you know, it's like the numbers didn't quite match up. Every time you watch him, it's like, who is this guy? Where, yeah. Where's the guy there, that was playing last year? There are a lot of problems. I mean, the play calling's been bad. The O-line's bad. Baker and OBJ just haven't been on the same page all season, which obviously hurts, too. He's going to have to take up transcendental med- meditation in the offseason <laughs> or something. I think. I'm still a believer long-term. I think he's a good dynasty buy right now. Yeah, I, I think I just don't, don't think his mind's in it right now. Yeah. The defense looks terrific, though. We got Brandon Allen in his very first regular season NFL game on the Denver side with not a whole lot of pass-catching talent around him. Yeah, I think both Ds are in play here. Obviously, Cleveland against Brandon Allen and you know Denver at home. They've been better lately, and the Browns have been a pretty nice match matchup for opposing D's. Yeah, Cleveland, the 10th best scoring matchup for team defenses. For the Broncos, really just the running backs for me. They've got a below average Cleveland defense overall. It's 20th in run defense efficiency. Yeah, I think both running backs are in play. I mean, I think Denver's going to feed them as long as they can. I think Brandon Allen being under center does hurt the touchdown upside for both those guys, but they're, they're both starters. Cortland Sutton, we'll see him. He should still get the volume. It's probably going to be tough from Brandon Allen. I think Sutton is still in play as a wide receiver three. Um, and then Noah Fant, I was about to like because he he's the one that got the usage boost with Emmanuel Sanders gone. But now with Brandon Allen in her mm-hmm. center, I mean, it's, it's tough to be excited about Fant. Yeah, I mean, he's in tight end two territory in our rankings. I think he's even too high. I'll talk mm-hmm. about him in a couple minutes. For Cortland Sutton, I think I had said it on Tuesday's pod. To me, he's Juju Smith-Schuster with the <laughs> different quarterbacks in Pittsburgh, but like a not as good <laughs> as Juju version yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, the, the Browns got both their starting corners back last week, too. Mm-hmm. New England at Baltimore, the Sunday night game. The Patriots are three-and-a-half-point road favorites. Down a little bit, a half point from where it opened. There's been lots of talk about the history between these two teams, but they haven't played since December of 2016. Yeah. So for fantasy purposes, I don't think we can draw a whole lot from their history against each other. A lot has changed on both sides since then. I do think that for New England, you play everyone that you're wondering about. Um, Mohamed Sanu played only 54% of the snaps in his Patriots debut. I would guess that that comes up in his second game. Julian Edelman, Philip Dorsett, both over 90% in that game. Benjamin Watson, 70% for the second straight game. Mm-hmm. Eric Tomlinson might be somebody that Mohamed Sanu steals snaps from, as opposed to maybe some from Jacoby Myers. But yeah. Eric Tomlinson has played 46%, 45% the past two weeks. He's a tight end. Maybe more Sanu and less Tomlinson this week. Yeah, I still wouldn't use Sanu if I could help it. I would still rather use Philip Dorsett even than Mohamed Sanu this week. Baltimore, they're getting Jimmy Smith back this week. So he joins Marcus Peters, who they traded for, Marlon Humphrey. Peters is sixth in PFF's coverage grades among 130 cornerbacks. Marlon Humphrey is 21st. So on paper, this Ravens pasty should be good now. It hasn't been good so far, but I wouldn't be surprised if they give Brady and these wide receivers some trouble. I was going to say that Baltimore is now up to 13th in pass defense efficiency, according to Football Outsiders, 21st against the run. And I think the 13th is even better when you consider that they open the season very low. So they've mm-hmm. climbed from low to that point. They are probably ascending beyond that point. So not a great matchup, I, I agree, for the New England pass catchers. And I mean, with Lamar Jackson on the other side, probably a situation where New England would like to keep the offense on the field and not give the ball to Baltimore as much as possible. Certainly a a fairly easy start for Sonny Michel, and maybe we don't get more Mohamed Sanu snaps because they want to have extra tight ends for blocking. 
Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that about keeping the you know opposing offense off the field. The Ravens have allowed the third fewest offensive snaps this season, and the Patriots have allowed the second fewest. So they're both like ball control offenses. So I I think I think this game is going to be lower scoring. I'd probably take the under. Michelle, yeah, he he's a starter, sixteen plus carries in five straight games now. His passing game role went away again <laughs> with um, Rex Burkhead back. Last week, Michelle saw zero targets, only ran four pass routes. So you, you have to pencil him in for, for zero catches again. Yeah, 19-plus carries in three straight games, though. I do think that we'll get some James White here. Eight-plus targets in four straight games before last week. And the Ravens are weak at linebacker. We mentioned they're, they're solid at corner, but and they have Earl Thomas deep at safety. But they're weak at linebacker. C.J. Mosley, of course, is a Jet. He's injured this year. Patrick Onwazer is their best remaining linebacker. He looks like he'll be back this week, but he's coming off a multi-game ankle sprain. So to me, it looks like an area that New England's going to challenge, and James White is a good way to challenge it. Yeah, it makes sense. White has finished as a top 23 PPR running back in all seven of his games so far this season. He's been super steady. On the Baltimore side, Lamar Jackson's almost certainly starting for you. I'm really not excited. about. I wouldn't say I'm excited about him. I'm definitely not excited about anyone else. It's got to be tough not to use Mark Andrews, though. Yeah, I think Andrews is a starter. Um, obviously, a tough matchup. The Pats are top three, and you know all all the tight end defense metrics. They haven't. I, I was looking at the tight ends they face. Like Vance McDonald is the best tight end they face this season, so they really haven't been tested. PFF has Deron Harmon as the you know Patriots' primary cover guy, and they have Mark Andrews with the you know fifth biggest advantage at tight end this week um, against the guy that's going to be covering him. So I think Andrews is fine. Lamar Jackson, a starter. I wouldn't be surprised if he struggles here. I think Belichick is going to do everything he can not to let Lamar beat him with his legs. And then, you know, I'm not sure Jackson can can beat the Patriots in the air. Yeah, I mean, what's Marquise Brown's outlook for this game? He's expected back, um, which definitely helps Lamar Jackson. I would not use Marquise Brown mm-hmm. in his first game back in this matchup, but yeah, getting him back definitely will help Lamar. Yeah, I was going to say, if they don't have Marquise Brown, it's tough to figure out who he would throw to at all besides Mark Andrews. And, you know, when you've got one main option to go to in that area, you're playing it in New England's hands. So I would try not to use anybody, probably starting Mark Andrews. If I had Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson, though, I think I would take a shot on Hawkinson's upside mm-hmm. this week. I, I would have to go Andrews. I can see that. Um, what about if it were non-PPR? Andrews. All right. <laughs> Patriot. Oh, so. Mark Ingram. Yeah, start talking yeah. to me about Mark Ingram. All right, so the Pats have allowed 5.1 yards per carry through running backs over the past five weeks now. You know, we saw we saw Frank Gore have some success against them. Nick Chubb, really, if you watch that game, I mean, Chubb was, was ripping him. He had a couple fumbles, but. Um, you know, they, they weren't, the Patriots weren't stopping Nick Chubb. The Pats are now eighth in football outsiders run D, so not, not bad, but not elite. PFF has them 20th in run defense rankings. So I, I think that's how the Ravens should try to attack the Patriots. I, you know, Ingram's been living on touchdowns, and his touchdown upside isn't big in this spot. In, you know, against this defense, but I do think he could have some success on the ground. Yeah, so I mean, Nick Chubb's very good, so yeah. I, I'm not too worried about a defense that he beats up. They've really had two poor run D outings all year, though. The Cleveland game, the Buffalo game. Frank Gore had one long run, a solid game otherwise, but I was looking at the other numbers. The Washington game, where it looks like they gave up a lot of rushing yardage. Steven Sims had a 65-yard run. He's a wide receiver. The Giants had 52 yards. The Jets had 81 yards, yeah. so... I think there's all, a little bit of inflation in there. It's all that's also Washington, the Giants without Saquon Barkley and the Jets, like not not right. strong running games there. No, that's true. So I, I mean, we'll see. I I don't know. I have trouble envisioning Mark Ingram having a, a good game here, and yeah. of course, it all depends on whether depends at least somewhat on whether Baltimore can avoid New England yeah. jumping out to a lead. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't love Ingram. He he's I'd say he's benchable if you have you know a strong running like Adrian back Peterson. stable. It's it's close. close. Peterson versus Ingram is close for me. All right. Dallas at the Giants on Monday night. The Cowboys are seven-point road favorites, down half a point, but still disrespectful to their host. (laughs) Dak Prescott, his past two games against the Giants have each included at least 380 passing yards and four touchdown passes. Yeah, and you you brought up on um, Tuesday we were going over the rankings about Dak Prescott's home road splits, and they, they have continued this year. Um, you know, both in raw production and in some of the efficiency metrics, he has had success on the road against the Giants. Though he had 387 yards, four touchdowns in that Week 17 game last year, and then 332 yards and three touchdowns in his previous game in New York. So maybe you ding Dak a bit, but I, I still think he's a top five play this week against what's a pretty bad Giants pass defense. Yeah, I agree. Start him. You start everybody that's related to him. I think that includes Jason Witten. I, I would move Witten even up a few spots in our rankings. He's still been consistent yeah. with his target and reception numbers. I like him over guys like Vance McDonald, Jimmy Graham, 
Noah Fant because I think that Witten's a safer bet for receptions and the offense has at least as much upside, if not more, than anybody in that range. Right. I mean, three plus catches in every game for Witten, which is nice just to be able to, you know, say there's a good chance you're going to get that out of your tight end. Um, and he scored in that first game against the Giants. Yeah, I think he had only like 15 yards, but he scored. The Giants, though, they, that, that's like the one thing they've been good at on defense this season. Football Outsiders has them sixth in tight end coverage and they're eighth in adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position. So I, I wouldn't argue with Witten a bit higher. He is safe. I just, I don't see a ton of upside sure i mean when i say move him up i'm talking like 15th he's not even in the top 12 at a bad position on the Giants side it's saquon barkley it's evan ingram golden tate i think is a clear starter at this point it sounds like we might get sterling shepherd back yeah so this will be the first game all season that the giants have sterling shepherd golden tate evan ingram and saquon barkley so it'll be nice to see what daniel jones does with those guys um you know tate's volume has been awesome the past three weeks without sterling shepherd i think shepherd's return dense that a bit you know I think Shepard and Tate are both like pretty high floor wide receiver threes I think the all of that is enough to make me wary of the Dallas defense this week there's upside but there's also downside there is I mean the upside is that Daniel Jones has has been a turnover machine lately but I agree I mean it's a pretty stacked Giants group of weapons and throwing Darius Slayton who's you know popped a few times this year already yeah I was gonna say Darius Slayton's looked good I think he's a he's intriguing long term right now his problem is volume especially with all those other guys healthy and some inconsistency if you're getting five or six targets and we have no idea whether you're going to catch one or five of them then it's tough to bet on you right yeah I thought Slayton was in play as like a wide receiver four if Shepard was out again but with with Shepard back now I would try not to use Slayton and although I think there's upside Daniel Jones is still just a a QB2 level guy for me. I would start him over Carson Wentz. Uh, I would struggle deciding between him and Phillip Rivers. Yeah, I would definitely start him over Wentz. I'd probably lean Rivers. I mean, I I still just don't trust Jones as a player. You know, he he was pretty bad until that game against the Lions last Mm -hmm. week. And the Cowboys are actually sixth in adjusted fantasy points allowed quarterbacks. Yeah, I think that I would probably settle on Rivers. And if I already had Rivers on my roster and I'm looking at Daniel Jones on waivers, I'm certainly not going to get Jones to start over. Yep. That's going to do it for this Week 9 preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see our full Week 9 rankings, as well as the fourth buy-sell-hold report of the season. We'll be back at it tomorrow with our weekly DFS shows. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 